I like your questions, by the way, that you sent on the email. Oh, okay. They're all impossible to answer questions. <laughs> Why'd you become a poet? They're good questions. Why'd you become yeah. a poet? Why, because my daddy was? Yeah. Maybe you'll learn something today. Okay, everyone ready? Yep. yep. Okay. We know what we're doing here? Nope. We're not just drinking, you know. No. Nope. We're, 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 we're talking. Working. We're having a conversation. And you're listening to Bar Crawl Radio number 34. We're coming at you from Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street. And here we go. All the poets who are reading tonight, and St. Uh, Illuminator's Armenian Apostolic Cathedral for allowing us the use of this hall. A month ago, I received an invitation from the World Poetry Movement to organize a World Without Walls poetry event in New York City. To date, over 400 events have been organized around the world for this month's Global Call for Action. We have about 18 readers tonight, I think everybody Almost everyone is here. I've asked them to each read five to seven minutes, either a poem they have written and or something else that really inspired them, something that they admire around the theme of peace and hope. The voice you just heard was Lola Kondakchan, an Armenian-American writer and the director of the Armenian Poetry Project, author of The Accidental Observer, as well as Advice of a Poet. Becky and I recently attended an event for the World Poetry Movement called For a World Without Walls. 18 poets read a variety of pieces focusing on war and peace, capitalism and greed, and the need for positive social change. And with us today on Bar Crawl Radio here at Gephardt's are three of the readers and poets from that event to talk about their inspirations and call for a world without walls. Robert Roth is the co-creator of the And Then Journal and the author of Book of Pieces, a collection of Mr. Roth's writings, fiction, political prose, interview, and poetry. Lisa Witten is from North Carolina originally and has been in New York City for 13 years. She seeks to, quote, break down barriers and augment acceptance and understanding through her writing. Presently, she's working on her Gothic memoir. Maybe we'll get into that. Burning Barbies. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, Burning Barbies. Although I liked Barbie. Chris Hirschman Brandt is a worker in the fields of theater and political social activism. Chris is a published poet and writer, a translator, carpenter, and furniture designer. He teaches poetry and peace and justice at Fordham University. Before, before we go any further, I think we had, again, invite you, uh, uh, um, welcome you to Bar Crawl Radio. Yes. And get Hearts on West 72nd Street, across from the mortuary, down the block from Trader <laughs> Joe's. And Papaya's. And, 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 and Papaya's Hot Dogs. And uh, what are we all drinking here? Chris, you've got a... Um, I've got this uh, Rasputin thing. All right. It's the same thing I'm drinking. North Coast Old Rasputin Nitro Russian Import Stout from... California? Nope. California. <laughs> there we go. Okay. They have a Russian river. They did have Russians in, in California. Yeah, the Russian river. There oh, that's go. right. Yeah, they Russian did make river, it down yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. somewhat yeah. there. So. Lisa, hi. What you, you have a nice orangey thing there. Um, yes, this is a dark hard apple cider. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know they had that. <laughs> yeah, delicious. Right. They got everything here. And Robert, you're yeah, having the, the... The Rasputin. The Rasputin, blah, 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 blah. Time three, yeah. Rasputin's beer. Okay, well, cheers, everybody. You will everybody. not die. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everybody. thank you, dear. I'm yeah. having a Tito's and tonic. Tito, oh, sweet. What are you having? Tito's and tonic. <laughs> thank you. That's right, thank in you. a tall glass. Thank you all. So, <clears throat> swallow, swallow, swallow. Um, we thought we would begin by learning a little about each of you and then talk about the worldwide poetry event held at the St. Illuminator's Armenian Apostolic Cathedral. I practiced that. <laughs> it's not so easy to say. <laughs> on 27th Street. Apostolic <laughs> Cathedral on 27th Street, right. And along the way, we're going to hear some of your work and your readings and, and all that good stuff. Robert, you're a writer. I hear you started writing at a young age. Can you talk about that? I just enjoyed doing it and um, would get into trouble in elementary school for things that I wrote. And then oh, like what? Right, Give I, it, no, yeah. You have to tell us now, Robert. Sorry. Yeah, spill the dirt. I, I wish I remember, but I think I had a f wrote about a fantasy of blowing up the teacher or something like that. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. You know, these days you'd be taken away. I know. You'd be checked to see if any it's guns not, or anything. It's not even that I disliked her, so. It was but, just 
I thought a fantasy you, that you didn't like authority, maybe. Maybe I think that was more it, yeah. and and then the same thing would happen in junior high school, but not, but it wouldn't be um, of that kind. But then I think there I would be starting to write more political, um, focused political uh, pieces, and so and you, so this was writing. I mean, you're we're both of some age. Yeah, yeah. So this I'm, is I'm back 75. in Nixon so, time. Um, uh, before that, well, I guess let's see. It would be around fifty six. All right, so we're talking Eisenhower, yeah. Kennedy, and yeah, yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, and, and let's say you had the um, Hungarian uprising, and you had a lot of <laughs> a lot of problems in the Middle East, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so that could be any time. Yeah, the world world hasn't changed. I that guess yeah, much. just about any time you could yeah. get into the and, those kind uh, of politics. And then, uh, which is really interesting, how you could write something and just kind of threaten, you know, threaten different people, you know, even even though you're just. You know, just who saying you, something. Who were you threatening? Because I heard that one of the teachers said, "Well, Roth is not as smart as he thinks he is," uh, and I'm 12 years old or 11 <laughs> years old. <laughs> you know, yeah, how smart did you think you I were? I didn't think I was. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So That's well, a real testament to it? your smartness. <laughs> who was it who said that yeah. pen is uh, more powerful than the? Uh, the sword. The sword. I don't know. Somebody. <laughs> I'll say Shakespeare. Some, somebody in the Revolutionary. That's pretty era, safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So, so do you remember what you were reading when you were a kid? The kinds of things that were interesting to you. I remember reading Asimov. I loved Asimov. Uh, I actually don't remember. I think I, I think at some point I started reading the New York Post mm-hmm. and uh, reading Murray Kempton, who was a, a columnist and a great writer. And I think he had like a early influence on me. Right. And then maybe someone like James Baldwin. As, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. How yeah. would you describe your writing today? Um, I, I'm really not sure. Um, it's probably better for other people to to describe it, but um, a lot of artists are like that. They yes. like they, you, yeah. know, you read, read what I wrote. I'm not going to tell you, you what it means. Yeah, it's not. You're not even being coy. It's just hard to um, like uh, my uh, my book, Health Proxy. Uh, at first, people would say it's a memoir, and I would be bristling. And then other people would say it wasn't a novel, yeah. and and I, and I didn't know what it was. It wasn't either, really. Well, what is and, it? And then I thought it was like, I thought it was some kind of extended meditation. Okay. Uh, you know, and um, but that was ha- that's reasonable. Yeah, and there were you know elements of fiction, elements of uh, real life uh, experience. There yeah. were, there, and but I thought it was more like an extended meditation, but um, but even that I didn't. Um, I didn't try to um, define it too too sharply. I mean, I like it very much, but I didn't try to define it too define sharply. It. Right. And you you also you published a book, uh, book of pieces. Right. Um, I mean, I, it's it could be a a play on word. Right. Different kinds of piece. Right. But it's P I E C E S. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I know it's a collection. Yeah, well, that was a that was that was a collection from uh, work from I think 1978 to. 2017, and it's a, it's a real mixture of poetry, political essays, fiction, interviews, and I have maybe three or four guest uh, guest friends, my mother too, who appear in the book. And I saw it there. In fact, we're going to be playing your rendition of that poem by your mother. Oh, thank you. I mean, that, that's a very important. Well, that, um, that's why we hired you to be on this show. <laughs> well, I, I, I read. I, 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 Wait, hi, we hired him. You, you mean the beers? The, the beers. Right. The beers. That's the, beer. the payoff. Well, I know the big bucks. Okay, I really appreciate that. Because <laughs> big beer. Because that, yeah, I really felt that that was really a wonderful thing to read that night, and um, and. And and my mother and I got much closer uh, with our magazine because uh, she appeared in uh, every issue of the magazine. Magazine and, and then and then and um, and it was really great. She developed <laughs> she developed a following among the um, you know among the different people who read the magazine and you know they were would you say, jealous? I mean, no, I was ecstatic <laughs> and and they and and it was really w- wonderful to see her in a way other than the chaos in our relationship. You know, like you know, I would know her as this bundle of rage and, and emotion and chaos, and uh, and then she comes to an end, then party, and everybody's gravitating towards her, and she's talking and wow and so it was really it was great i mean it was just really great to see her in a that's way that's nice and um, it's interesting yeah. we we have different relationships in our lives with our parents with our parents and our, our children, children. Mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's a dichotomy and then what happens <laughs> she developed a following among black women 
And that was, you know, it's like totally from where and where, you know, and it was great. And, and because she talked a lot about her experiences in Hungary and the oppression she felt as a Jew and just the celebrations of things. And, um, and, and a lot of people really resonated with that and, and, and were very excited by it. So that, that, that was very gratifying. And, um, and, um, and then, and, and then, so she, so then she decided. Well, better, she better return. You know, do this in kindness. So, she took. It's going to be a kindness to you. No, no, not not. I mean, she she said, if they're following me, I better follow them. So oh, she took okay. out a, uh, oh. a subscription to Ebony, <laughs> 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 and it didn't quite do it. You know, and <laughs> that was her gesture. No, I mean, she thought this. You know, because she said, look, you. It's not. It was really. She said, "Not just oppression. You have to know the, uh, the 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 details of everyday life, or you don't understand other people's lives." Right, right. And so that was one one way she wanted to see. And then she said, "Well, this is not working." And uh, right. yeah. and, and then Wrong. and then inside the magazine, she really responded very strongly to to a lot of people's work, but particularly the work of of, of black black women in the and black men actually, and some Puerto Rican women in in, in the magazine itself. And it was really wonderful to hear her read those pieces in, in heavy Hungarian accent. And it was just, and she just really gave it uh, incredible uh, added other dimension to it. Uh, but before, before, I, before I introduce uh, the poem, everyone, Alina Larson just came in. Hi, Alina. Hi. Hey. Just entered the yeah. What are you drinking, Alina? I am bringing the Hoboken No Sleep Till Boken. Something ah. Hoboken. That's I what like I got. Yeah. I like that. Um, where did you grow up? Where uh, Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. Okay. All right. Uh, so we are going to um, uh, hear a piece, that piece that your mother wrote that you read, Two Faces of a Nazi Sympathizer, in, in your uh, book, book of pieces. It's, it's there, which I assume we can find that book on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by Kuto Laszlo Roth. Uh, Kato. Kato. Kato yeah. Laszlo Roth. Uh, and um, Robert read this piece at the event for A World Without Walls. In 1948, when for several weeks I visited my parents in Budapest, Hungary, I had one of the most interesting encounters and experiences of my life. When I met again my former German and art history teacher, Dr. Illinois Hunvaye, while I had a special aptitude for art history, the German language was very hard for me, and I never mastered it. The other Jewish girls in my class spoke German fluently. I was frightened of Dr. Hanvai during my school years. Since I was not very good in the German language, she always drilled me in grammar, while the other Jewish girls had the great privilege to be called upon to recite in German the great accomplishments of Hitler, like building good roads, creating jobs for everyone, stopping the inflation, and others I can't recall. None of Hitler's brutality to non-Aryans was ever mentioned. The Jewish girls showed no emotion while reciting, and I was fortunate that I was spared the experience. Actually, all of us Jewish girls were humiliated. I was tortured and put down by the constant drilling of grammar and being an example of stupidity. And others were forced to recite the great accomplishments of our enemy in Germany. In 1948 in Budapest, after not seeing her for 13 years, I happened to meet Dr. Hanvayi by chance in the Hotel Gellert's indoor pool. I recognized her immediately and identified myself. I was still a little scared of her. She remembered the class and me and started to tell me how we students were her whole life how she loved teaching, and how she lost her job, I suspect because of her Nazi sympathy, sympathies, was ill, had a mastectomy, and that she was totally devastated and unhappy. The fearful figure I remembered before the war became a pitiable figure as we talked on. She saw in me the elegant young woman who came back from America for a visit not the frightened Jewish girl of the past. As mentioned before, during our talk, the old frightening image of Dr. Hanvayi melted away, 
and she became a sad human being who was happy to talk to me and even in a sort of way had admiration for me and was glad to remember old times. As far as I was concerned, I felt no victory, only sympathy for her. Her cruelties during the German classes were not as important anymore, and I was sad seeing her so destroyed. Dr. Hanvai taught me between 1931-35, and in 1935 I matriculated in German literature, among other subjects. In hindsight, I believe, perhaps, her human side was revealed in the art history classes, where she inspired all of us. And after many years in America, I finally became an art historian. Dr. Hanvai's cruelty and moments of humanity were living proof of some of the many facets of a human being. In this case, two of the many faces of a Nazi sympathizer. How did your mother influence your writing? Um, um, I don't think really, no. Um, except whatever she passed on to me in terms of um, passion, anxiety, insight, pain, <laughs> whatever, you know, I mean, I, I just whatever she passed on to me as a person from one person to another or as a parent to a, to a kid. Had she been a writer from a young age herself? Uh, yeah, but I really didn't know it that much. When the magazine came out, she started, um, she started writing for the magazine. So that, and, and, and one time, um, she went back to college, to Queens College, where I was a student, and I was you know, younger, obviously. And um, there was a big demonstration at the World's Fair, and uh, it was a 64, I think. And, I was uh, at that World's Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at that World's Fair. When I was a kid <laughs> with my parents, yeah. In the meantime, uh, my mother had worked in the 1939 World Fair here. Oh, my goodness. And um, it was, so I wrote a piece about the demonstration, and she wrote a piece about working in the 1939 World Fair, and the two pieces appeared you know, on the same page. What, what pavilion did she work on? The Hungarian pavilion. Oh, oh of course. Of course. And, <laughs> and so her piece was pretty terrific, and, and, and my piece was, 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 was okay. And, and the two pieces together were kind of uh, dynamite. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, what I what uh, when, when you read this at a uh, for a World Without Walls event, I was taken with the enormous simplicity of it, the straightforwardness, the um, um, I'm, I'm thinking of a word. It's like it, it, there was no fat on it, right? Um, and you read it so simply, and so can I say respectfully um, that uh, I just that's why I. I we invited you on because it was it was this truly authentic piece, you know. Um, when you read it, what what kinds of feelings come over you, or do they? Well, they do. I mean, it's you know, it's very moving. I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I choke up when I think about it. When I, you know, it was like uh, it was a profound experience for her, and um, and just you know the, the struggles as a young girl there, and the uh, the anti-Semitism, and the uh, and then. Just her, uh, also just that this teacher ignited the, her imagination as a, uh, art, you know, an art. I mean, just literally excited her, and these two things were happening simultaneously, which I think kind of goes to the uh, to the evening, you know. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because I want I wanted to get that. Maybe we can talk, turn to Lisa and Chris because you you are now the audience of this poem. <laughs> what does this poem have to do with uh, for a world without walls? For, so for me, I felt like it's... Oh, this is Lisa Witten. Oh, yes. Um, it's about seeing more than just one thing of a person, mm -hmm. right? That we are dynamic. We are not... Um, I think people are very quick to put a label on somebody, and I think it's important to see that there are layers and that people bring out different layers in ourselves as well. So for me, that's what really resonated. We can get stuck on the idea she's a Nazi sympathizer, and that's all she and that's is. And that's it. That's it. She's done. But we're all very complex. We're all very deep. <laughs> um, even the people we don't like and, you know, that maybe we ought to kind of look, get beyond the wall we have of our attitudes about them. Yeah. 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 So that's what you got from it. I mm -hmm. think that's great. What about you, Chris? Well, for me, one of the big surprises of it is that Robert's ancestors are Hungarian, because so are mine. Oh. Ah, yeah, <laughs> my, that's my, right. You look like you could be brothers. <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> yes. Um, 
my grandparents on my father's side were Hungarian Jews, and my fa- and they moved to Vienna. My father grew up in Vienna, and hated being Jewish because he was bullied on the streets and, yeah. and so forth. I grew up in the South and hated being Jewish. Yeah. Well, where? Oh. Yeah, in the in South, Miami. in Miami. Miami. Yeah. In Miami. Yeah. They drew a swastika <laughs> on his sidewalk. Oh, in front of his yeah. house. One of our neighbors. In the, what was that? In the sixties or? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. in the, it was in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But the the question of a world without walls. Both sides of my families were were refugees. My mother's family were um, refugees, economic refugees, in the early twentieth century, around nineteen oh six. And my father's family barely made it out in nineteen thirty nine. Um, but and six of them got out and. I have no idea what happened to the rest of them, um, because there obviously there were more, not not immediate family. But the the question of walls, I mean, that's what leads to things like fascism and and. Right. And we're not talking about the literal uh, wall. We're talking about the we're not? separations. No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we're, he's not going to get his wall. Oh. <laughs> I think it can be literal too. I let him I have think his wall. It doesn't make any difference. No, 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 no. You know, my, my brother, um, my, part of my family lives in Mexico, and my brother and his wife, who's Mexican, they claim that wall is not to keep Mexicans out of the United States. <laughs> it's to keep Yuzians in. In the United States, yeah. <laughs> I want to get out. Let me <laughs> yeah, out. let me out of here. <laughs> I don't like you Could anymore. be, could be. So, Lisa, you're a teacher? Yes. So am I. Oh. What do you teach? Where do you, uh, not you don't say where, but what do you teach? I teach English and health. Ah, my goodness. You teach writing? Mm-hmm. That is the hardest thing to teach, I think. I teach elementary school, so I teach oh. all, the, all the curriculums, but probably at a more uh, watered-down version. So, Lisa, we really enjoyed the reading that you did while we were uh, uh, listening of the um, Imagine. Thank you. That was brilliant. So what brought you to poetry? Um, so for me, I don't consider myself a poet, but I love writing. And when um, I feel like any time that I feel emotionally not in a good place or I feel like our world isn't a good place, then I turn to poetry. But that's not my typical go-to. And I would say the last few years it's been my go-to quite a bit just because of the nature of our society right now. So what do you get from it? From you, you mean you, it's your go-to to write it or mm-hmm. to read it? To write it and to, to read it. And to read it. Yes. So what do you get from it? For, for me, um, when I write it, it's like an emotional release. It's like I get all of, or at least some of the pain that I, I'm feeling inside and some of the tension and stress about what could possibly happen or what is happening in the world. And um, when I read it, it makes me realize that this isn't something that's just happened right now and that societies throughout time have suffered many kinds of pain and that the pain that we're having right now isn't the same as what other societies and cultures have experienced, but that they have persevered. So I guess in that way it helps me yeah. to see that. I, I, I think we should uh, hear the poem that she read at the oh, okay. All right. World yeah, Without yeah, yeah. Walls, uh, because uh, this is a pretty wild thing that, that you did. And I, again, you were cast because of oh, this. Oh, <laughs> I see. Okay, I get it now. What you wanted me to say was, yeah. and we thought we'd like to hear, we want to share with our listening audience. There you go. The poem, Imagine. Perfect. The second one, um, I'm sure you're very familiar with. I always go back to this song. Um, It's from my childhood. um, But it brings me peace when I'm feeling very down. And lately, the last two years, that's been quite a bit. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us and above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for. Imagine all the people living in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine, no possessions. I wonder if you can. 
No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that was great. Um, am, am I the only one that hears Betty Boop? <laughs> it would never occur to me. <laughs> well, you know I'm talking about the Betty Boop character? Oh, I know the Betty Boop character. Boop, but boop, boop, boop. <laughs> It sounded like she was a child, so Betty yeah. Boop was kind of childish sounding. Yeah, childlike. Yeah. Childlike. But, but child, but important. I mean, child, but an adult Something at the same time. Something to say. Yes. Yeah. So what made you decide to read it that way? I think that's a wonderful interpretation. So I feel like when you think of who has the most hope in our society and who has the belief that we can change, I think it's children. And I, I teach ninth grade. And I see the difference between ninth graders and 12th graders even. And ninth graders still have that, that innocence and that belief that, you know, we can do something about this. And I think I felt like I needed to do it in a young voice because I feel like sometimes if an older voice would have said that, then it's like, okay, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you're an adult. You've seen some stuff, so you know that we don't, the world's not going to change. So I felt like it had to be a kid. Um, and I changed my modulation for certain lines. So, like, you you may think I'm a dreamer. So it's sort of being, like, calling people out yeah. and then recognizing the same, like, but I'm not the only one. Like, the importance of finding those people who do see the world the way that you do and like grabbing onto them because you need to especially when times are kind of like tough. I think the Beatles did a good job but <laughs> this was really bringing out things in that that I don't think they did in, in, in their music and I, I certainly appreciate it. Do you, do you do this kind of performing for your students? Yes. You put on characters and voices. They're yes. lucky group of students. <laughs> yeah. And is that to try to bring them into the to to the prose, to the poetry, to whatever you? Yes, absolutely. I think one of um, the my favorite memories. Um, I saw someone who had graduated maybe four years before on the train, um, but he had been in my ninth grade class, and he was like, Miss do you know that when I read, I hear your voice in my head? Uh, so and that's like, a good thing. That's a good thing. He's yeah. like, because I pretended to you, how would Miss Witten read this? And so that's... Wow. Well, that's, that's helping him understand it. Yes, wow. helping to understand and also bringing it to life, which yeah. is what literature, poetry, etc. Poetry is, is, is a vocal thing. Yes. Yeah. You've inspired me. I'm going to really start doing that more with my students. I mean, I read with expression because you have to teach them that it's important to read with expression because mm -hmm. it helps the meaning. But... I've never thought of it as a way to really bring them in as a, you know, like a, what a, as a performer would. That's great. Yes. After the reading, um, someone came up to me, a woman said, when you read, when you read this, it brought the poem to life. Yes. And the performer is all about like a poem either lives or dies by the speaker, the person who's putting those words out there. So and true. You don't put it, you don't say it with emotion. You don't bring yourself into it. Then your audience isn't going to get anything out of it. I have right. to say that's why we chose you three. One of the reasons was is that how well you read. Um, it makes a big difference to the listener. And I want to do a shout out to Michael Shine, who we also were going to bring in. He had a, an amazing yes. approach to his to his piece. <laughs> uh, maybe at the end of this, I'll play his, uh, so that listeners can stay and listen to Michael Shine's Michael Shine's piece. I want to read something from your bi a bio, uh, Lisa. Um, that you help your students to be, quote, compassionate and reject ignorance and hate. And I think I, I, I see you doing that. Um, so um, can, can you, how does poetry help us move away from hate towards love? Is that the opposite of hate? Yes, or understanding. Or understanding. But it's dissipated, I think, through knowledge. So I think um, I love the phrase love trumps hate. But really, I think it's knowledge and understanding of our diverse world. And I think poetry is a really beautiful way to do that because in a short piece, you can learn so much about someone who's very different from you and see that even though they're different, they're actually very much the same. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm going to put you in touch with someone that, that does a podcast about, about um, teaching. Oh, um, What's Morgane's uh, podcast called? Unkind. No, Kindness. Kindness. Oh, yeah. Unkind. It's called Kindness. Um, yeah, 
you, you would be an interesting discussion with her. Unfortunately, she's up on the western side of Canada. <laughs> I don't want to take, <laughs> okay. wanna take that, that trip. Maybe they could do a phone um, discussion. So this is Bar Crawl Radio, recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on the Upper West Side on 72nd Street. It's near the mortuary, across the street from the mortuary, <laughs> down, down the street the from, from Trader, Trader Joe's, Joe's and, and Papaya. Close to Papaya. Yeah, yeah. we got to work on that. I know. Well, we had it a while ago. We lost it. You yeah, know, we haven't it done comes it and goes. But yeah. I just want to put a shout out to Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. Yeah, Matt, Matt's here, the owner. I know. Here. I said hello to him. Yeah. And he, the, he has a great selection of beer. They change it out. Uh, tons. I mean, they, they they have this huge chalkboard on the wall where they write in their beers of the day. And it's always changing. And it's, yeah, and is is bottled really and draft, and it's good. Really into that good beer culture. Beers. Yeah. <laughs> so we are talking with three poets at the recent for a world without walls event held as part of the world poetry movement. And finally, dun, we dun, get dun. to Chris H. Brandt. Um, Hi, Alan. Uh, hard to know to start where to start with you, sir. Um, this will be the second time you've been on Bar Crow Radio, and the third time you've been on one of my podcasts. Right. Um, we regular. did a we did a recording at the Iron uh, Iron Pony Bar in the nation's capital after a week of protesting by Witness Against Torture, who you belong to, mm-hmm. uh, who there you, you guys are protesting the U.S. prison in Guantanamo. In fact, I'm going to Washington uh, next week to testify at one of the arrests of the Supreme Court of your group, one of the members of your, of your group. So we've crossed paths several times and hopefully we'll continue to do that. Chris is also a theater person. Uh, he's working for the Medicine Show Theater. And uh, for today, we're going to stick not to theater, but to peace activism and, and, the, uh, and, and the event. But maybe it all goes <laughs> together. It all goes together. It does. Right, it does. right. So I was going to ask you uh, what got you into the protest business, but I'm curious, what was your first protest, and how old were you? Oh, uh, Vietnam War. Yeah. I was, yeah, me too. I was draft age. I was, you know, high up. No, okay, but still, that's understandable as someone who, you know, could be going off to this battle that you don't believe in, this war that you don't believe in. No way I was going to that. Right, right. For you to protest that made perfect sense. But yet you continued. Well... So what was it after that? Civil rights. Um, in particular, uh, I, I read uh, Jimmy Baldwin. and James Baldwin seems to be a theme here. He, he changed my life. He's a, he's a great, great, great writer. And... Uh, that was the beginning of my understanding of racism in this country. Um, it's, it's a lot more sense, of course. Uh, but then after, the, after we had finally managed to end the American war in Vietnam, and I think we did it on the streets in this country, um, there was so much more. There was a the big question, what do we do now? We, we want so much more than this. And then for considerable amount of time, 20 years or so, it was, it was one thing after another. It was the anti-nuke movement, it was the uh, women's rights, women's rights. Mm-hmm. it was uh, the prison movement and so forth. And it took uh, 20 years for me to begin to understand that all these things are connected. That there is, that doing one thing at a time is fine, but what we really want is a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not a and and one of the things that influenced me most was going to Nicaragua during the 1980s, uh, which I did kind of by accident. Um, this is during the San, Sandinista during the Sandinista Revolution. Yeah. And I went there thinking that the revolution was the barricades and jumping over the barricades and taking the storming the Bastille and things like that. Yeah, carrying a flag of freedom. Yeah. And the Nicaraguans were very nice and very gentle in informing me that no, that was not the revolution, that was the insurrection. And the revolution was what came afterwards, and that's a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. Changing people's minds, their imagination, opening their, their minds to other possibilities. Yeah. I see Witness Against Torture tries to do that. We do. Voices for Creative uh, Nonviolence, uh, Brian right. uh, Terrell's. Uh, group, all of these groups are trying to change imaginations. And Code Pink. Code Pink House. Yeah. Or Code yeah. Pink, yeah. And we go on and on. And we've, uh, uh, Bark already, we've done a series of programs on Witness Against Torture. And we've been talking with you people, you peace activists, 
um, who are very strange and wonderful. Strange, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not like the rest of humanity. Uh, you put your lives on the lines, getting well, arrested and... Yeah, so far it hasn't been our lives on the line, but it could be. You know, your time, time, to me, time is lives. Right. Yeah. Being yeah. put in... I mean, a, a lot of your fellow protesters have been arrested before and served time in federal prisons. That's yeah. That's your life. That's your life. That's your that's life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stopped. Yeah, but we haven't been shot yet. Yeah. That you could, say yet. That's, uh, that could That's come. hopeful. <laughs> Listen, this is a, a program about poetry. Let's listen to As a little a, bit of your poetry. Okay. Um, you read um, for, and this is a piece you read for a World Without Walls event, and this poem is called House, and we'll talk about it after we hear it. Let the house I build stand apart from other houses. Let it begin and end with the least way to take most benefit from sun and rain and most account of wind and weather. Let it give us let it, let it give as much to the cycles of life as it takes from the earth. I'd have it warm when it's cold outside and cool when it's hot, something to look at out every window of which there must be not too many, but of ample dimensions. A tree, many trees, at least one open vista and a veranda in that direction. No decoration. Let the function define its form, so let its function be solitude and openness. Inside, let the furnishings be made simply and well by carpenters who make no distinction between what they build for themselves and what they build for others. And let there be no more than necessary, a sturdy table, four chairs, a solid bed, and two large bookcases. Let the kitchen be adequate for two to cook for four, and let it and it and the bath and all the floors tiled for easy cleaning. This house will be home to love and you and me, ever open to children and poets and to anyone who adds to life. Come, my love, let us build this house. I don't get why I am so taken with that. I mean, when I heard it at, at the uh, event, and I'm hearing it now, I feel the tears coming up behind my eyes. I do too when I read it. <laughs> how, did you, how did you come up with that? It's, again, it's so simple. I wanted to... It's so right. It's so pure. I had a relationship with a woman that, was, that lasted for over four decades, mm. and mm. Uh, I wanted us to have a house together in the, in the mountains and in the countryside. And so it's a love poem. It's a love poem. And it's a, it's a peace poem because that's, that's peace, openness and, and uh, solitude. Um, and we never did build that house. She died um, about three and a half years ago. Mm. And uh, uh, I don't think that house will ever get built, but it got built in that poem. It got it, built in your imagination. It got yeah. built in yeah. my head. I yeah. mean, I can and see it. And in our it. imagination. I can feel it. That's right. And, and Eddie, uh, uh, Lisa, Robert? Um. It's nice to hear both of you again from that spectacular night that Lola had created. And, and I could hear it again, and I could hear it in a new way. And it's a very profound poem. Yeah. In both your poems. Yeah. And both your readings of them. And Lisa's um, poem ended the night. Yeah, it was a it great. Was, it, it was an incredible great. ending for the for this whole experience. And your poem created the house. So that's <laughs> that yeah. It's almost like the, the house. You don't need the house because it's there. <laughs> well, it's I'd there. love to have the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we have five workers here. Or six. Yeah, right. We can build it for all of us. Yeah, how, let's how let's much, make it how a communal. How house. much of your life as a carpenter? Because you were a carpenter. I uh, fed into the reality, the feeling of this Well, Because you knew you could build it. I knew I could build it if, if I had to or if I needed to or if I could. Um, I think that's important. Well, yeah. I mean, carpentry has a lot to do with... It's, it's part of the same thing as poetry. Jesus was a carpenter, right? Jesus was a carpenter, yeah. yeah. So were uh, that, that 
singing group in the, the 60s. Carpenters. <laughs> yeah, they were carpenters too. They were really carpenters. So let's talk a bit about this activity called poetry and how it links to the world poetry movement. So what is WPM? The world poetry movement, what is it? And Robert, I think you know more about it than anyone. I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. That's, that's what I was told. What was it? Was Have it? you been with them for a while? No. Have you been, I, no? I, I, it was really nice to be invited. <laughs> but I guess that's what it is. You know, you include whoever is near you, and it seems like it's a worldwide movement so yeah. i guess we're there and yeah we needed lola to kind of tell us yeah. about yeah well yeah it's, it's like lola said there were over 400 readings around the yeah, world so all happening at the similar time yeah, yeah happening so in the same time frame right. okay everybody a quick uh, interruption here after the recording i called lola conduction to find out about the world poetry movement because none of us knew what was going on so Lola is on the line. Thank you very much for taking the time. So uh, can you tell Thank us you. what is the World Poetry Movement? So just a little intro before that. I had been to uh, the International Poetry Festival in 2010 in Medellin, Colombia. And a year later, this organization was formed during a gathering of directors from 37 international poetry festivals, which is a regular thing that they do to gather and discuss topics and goals and uh, help each other out with new events, ideas, and sharing of authors. So they they organized this world poetry movement, and their uh, common discussion points connected around poetry and peace, how it, it is used to lift the human spirit, Topics such as reconciliation, what to do with the topic of nature and its degradation, how to improve this, the unity and cultural uh, connections with various diverse peoples, cultures, material poverty, poetic justice, and possibly taking actions to take in favor of the globalization of poetry. So one of the goals is moving forward, mutual cooperation, and energizing the individual and the collective voices of poetry in our time. Now, in the past uh, almost eight years, uh, World Poetry Movement has organized several global actions. This year, the global action was a world without walls. Membership is, uh, by the way, in 130 countries, according to its website, most recently, and over 400 cities and um, events were organized for the month of February when we, we got the call of action for the uh, a world without walls. So it was very exciting. And as I told the public uh, at our reading, on February 1st, we found out that there was a gathering in Yemen. I was mm. extremely touched by this because 24, 25 years ago, I visited Yemen. And I felt a great connection. That's what travel does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And I was very, very happy to hear that in areas uh, such as the war zone in Yemen, they were able to gather together and hold an event and read poetry. I was extremely gratified. It's the third time I organized a reading like this. I'm very, very happy that I could do this Thank in you. a very short time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lola Conduction for telling Thank us about you, the world poetry movement. Um, we will stay in touch. We will. Thank you so much. Thank we you. were thinking that we'd like to hear some other poetry. Did you all bring something? Yes, we did. Okay. Who would like to start? A little introduction, and let's, let's, let's hear what you brought. Okay, Lisa. <laughs> You're all being too kind. Oh, okay. So, um, as I said, I typically write poetry when I'm in some sort of emotional turmoil. And um, so, yes, I'll let the poem speak for itself. Okay. If you're ending it, do it now. Slicing skin with a thousand blades. Do it over the phone in broken words that everyone has used. A monologue we could all recite. Do it in a text. You don't have to see my face when you try to break me. You shouldn't get to see my tears. They're not really about you anyway. I will weep over the fact that I never felt worthy. I doomed us before our first talk, choking any possibility of me becoming we. 
you're just one more. A lovely addition who added kindness and the chance of family into the mix. But in the end, I will be I. And you will crawl back into your perfect little world of extravagance, where judgment is served with morning tea, because coffee is too provincial. Don't make me walk the wet sidewalk to the place of your choosing, where the trees are gorgeous and beg to be climbed, where the grass nestles ladybugs dreaming of better days, where benches hold promises better than you do. End it with the cruel heart you told me you had. Don't just say it. Prove it. That's it. Wow. Oh, I like nice. that. Yeah. That's an anthem. <laughs> is, that, is that like, don't talk of love going through yeah, time? Yeah. It's like, well, no, it's not about I, show me. It's about it's go. It's about go, go. It's done. Don't talk to me anymore. Yeah. You want to leave? Yeah. Get out. I love, I, love, I love the bench that's more comfortable or more worthy of... Uh, Hold its promises. Promises more yeah. than you. No, yeah. it's, it's more about like, what's that song? Get out the door, Joe. <laughs> Yep. Don't, don't give me no black jack. <laughs> and don't you come back no yeah. more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. That's what it is. Does this have anything to do with walls? Um, I guess in the sense that someone tried to build a wall around me and I wasn't <laughs> having it. There you go. <laughs> That's interesting. It's like the walls that prevent us from becoming who we could be. Who we, who we can be. And that's a wall, too. Parents do it to children. Mm-hmm. And, and we do it to our partners. Partners do it to partners. I mean, we, yeah. we learned it early we're on. We're working on it. <laughs> and we're, and we're still we're working on it. We're tearing down the walls. Good. Right, right. Uh, Robert. Okay, you sure. You have a poem, yeah. Well, I, I think rather than a peace poem, this is a peace of mind poem. Okay. And I guess it's trying not to bump into walls. Okay. Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? On the tip of my nose? No. Under that pile? No. In my pocket, my pocket, no. In the refrigerator, yes, no. Somewhere, where? Oh, OMG. So familiar. We're at that place where I am a teacher and I... I'm always asking the kid, where are my, where are my glasses? <laughs> and they know. That's what's great about it. They where know. But it's so embarrassing, too. <laughs> I love that. We, we, it's, like, it's like, where are the effing are my glasses? I, Maybe I, they're in the freezer. It's like, there's no way they're in the freezer. And wait, wait, wait. But wait. you go and look. But wait, you're talking about a certain kind of glasses. I think. I think just eyeglasses. Just, <laughs> just eyeglasses? Oh, yeah. okay. See, I, Subject interpretation. Okay. There My interpretation is it's reading glasses. Because oh, reading glasses. Because you can see... No, it's reading glasses. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Always okay. look. So, so the solution that I have is I buy bunches of them. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got yeah. like two dozen reading glasses around the house. I need about three more right So eventually, it's, I'm going to trip over it. Yeah, you just have to put them in every little place where you might need... <laughs> there, there you go, and, and you uh, can put it anywhere. But Lisa, you're not there yet. <laughs> not you quite. Well, okay, wait. It's well, fun. Gotta, no. It's fun, yeah. It's, it's so much fun. It's, it's fun. Chris, you got a poem for us. I do. And we're going to we're going to close Robert. out with Chris's poem. I love that. Okay, this, <laughs> this poem. My brother's a blues musician. I didn't know that. Yeah, he he used to play blues in Chicago wow. before he moved to Mexico. What does he play? Uh, mouth harp. Oh my goodness. Where where Wait. where in Mexico? He lives in a little town up in the mountains south of Mexico City called Tepoztlan. Oh. One of the most marvelous places I've ever been in my life. You go there often? Do you visit? Not often enough. Yeah. Um, But he lived in Chicago for a long time and played blues on the south side at places like Queen Bees and Checkerboard. Played with Muddy Waters Jr. No way. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. And his name is? His name is Peter Brandt. I mean, he's... Peter Brandt. Yeah. Now, now in Mexico, he's called Don Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Don Peter. (laughs) Is he older or younger? He's younger. Yeah. Four years younger. All right. But anyway, this poem is dedicated to him, and it's called These Blues. Not the blue blues, the blind, drunk, looking for oblivion, blue grief blues. 
Not the lead-footed, no-place-to-go, homeless blues, and not the angry blues either, but the musician's blues, blood so full of oxygen it glows blue, like the ghost light between two halves of uranium-238 sphere at critical mass just as the chain reaction begins, or the rush at an unexpected visit from the lover you've been longing for, your hands electrical receptacles for ecstasy, your mouth the birthbed of joy. Those blues. Yeah, those blues. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> your, your, your brother's got to do some music for that. Uh, I wish he would. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it, has, it has a blues rhythm to it. It's got, yeah. Blues, well, blues, yeah, blues. Intentionally That's so. That's the idea, yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> right. Any reactions? Yeah. It, 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 it has its own musicality. This has been wonderful. Yes, we have yes. to do more poetry shows. I yes, love this. Yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah. I, now I want to do a poetry <laughs> podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this has really been wonderful. This thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think we're going to end. I mean, there's nothing else we can do. That That was great. That was great. The three wonderful poems. Yes. Three wonderful poems. And I could see walls in each one of them. Maybe not the blues one. <laughs> well, the blues one is kind of knocking down walls. Yeah. It's destroying walls. There you go. The blues it's, do destroy walls. It's yes. the uranium yes. that destroys <laughs> right. the walls. So I, I think it's part of the theme of, of this evening. Um, a thought. This is my poetry here. Poetry can change us if only we take the time to really listen. Fully be with the moment and the reader and her words. I don't know if you notice, I close my eyes when I listen in order to get really with the words and the voice. But that is an enormously difficult activity in a world of distractions, of easy and many entertainments, of quick and constant news shocks. What if our politicians were poets <laughs> and spoke deeply and fully about what they really thought and felt? And what if we actually all listened, full-throated, ready to accept the other, because we really want to see the other. Would there be a need for walls? No, and there's a paradigm for that. Many Latin American countries appoint their poets as their diplomats. There you go. Hmm. Like Pablo Neruda. There you go. And Poland had a poet once. And, Poland had a and he became the head of the country. Many, Czechoslovakia. And, uh, Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. The Czech Republic. Yeah, that's what yeah. Yeah. Václav Havel. Right. Many countries do that. We don't because we think poetry is, well, just a distraction. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else is, po yeah. Poetry Poetry's where and sermons, maybe. But poetry, yeah. that's, that is the focus. Yep. Thank you. Thank you all. We want to thank Robert Roth, Lisa Witten, and Chris Brandt for joining us today on BCR and for sharing your work with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Bar Crawl Radio. Your neighborhood bar is a great place for the best conversations. So visit your local pub soon and have a poetic moment on us. Let us know what you think about our programming by emailing us at barcrawlradio at gmail.com. And, and stick around. We're going to play Michael Shine's piece from uh, For a World Without Walls. It's, it's a treat. <laughs> it's a treat, the way he delivered that. So stick around. And, but that's it for us. It is. All right. Thanks, babe. It was fun. And cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Throughout this podcast, I was calling him Michael Shine. That's not correct. His name is Michael Klein. He is a five-time Lambda Literary Award finalist and a two-time winner in the gay men's poetry category. His most recent work appears in the Literary Review. For the event for A World Without Walls, he read a poem by Nazim Hikmet called Things I Didn't Know I Loved. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Lola. Uh, this is a very appropriate day to have such a reading, I have to say, if we're watching the government fool us again and again and again. Um, and this is Hikmet, Things I Didn't Know I Loved. It's 1962, March, and bear with me, it's long-ish, but I'll accommodate. It's, and I took some shit out that I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs>
things I didn't know I love. It's 1962, March 28th, and I'm sitting by the window of the Prague Berlin train. Night is falling. I never knew I liked night, descending like a tired bird on a smoky wet plain. I don't like comparing nightfall to a tired bird. I didn't know I loved the earth. Can someone who hasn't worked the earth love it? I've never worked the earth. It must be my only platonic love. And here I've loved rivers all this time. Whether motionless like this, they curl skirting the hills. European hills crowned with chateaus. Or whether stretched out flat as far as the eye can see. I know you can't wash in the same river even once. I know the river will bring new lights you will never see. I know we live slightly longer than a horse, but not nearly as long as a crow. I know this has troubled people before and will trouble those after me. I know all this has been said a thousand times before and will be said after me. I didn't know I loved the sky, cloudy or clear, the blue vault Andre studied on his back at Bordolino in prison. I translated both volumes of War and Peace into Turkish. I hear voices out from the blue vault, but from the yard, the guards are being someone again. I didn't know I loved trees, bare beaches near Moscow. They come upon me in winter, noble and modest. Beaches are Russian the way poplars are Turkish. The poplars of Izmar losing their leaves. They call me the knife, lover like a young tree. I blow stately mansions sky high. In the Ilgaz woods in 1920, I tied an embroidered linen handkerchief to a pine bow for luck. I never knew I loved roads, even the asphalt kind. Vera's behind the wheel, and we're driving from Moscow to Crimea, thank you. You'd think I would know how to pronounce that word. The two of us inside a closed box, the world flows past on both sides, distant and mute. I was never so close to anyone in my life. Bandits stopped me on the red road between Bulu and Garadi when I was 18. Apart from my life, I didn't have anything in the wagon they could take. And at 18, our lives are what we value least. I've written this somewhere before, waiting through a dark, muddy street. I'm going to the shadow play. A paper lantern leads the way. Maybe nothing like this has ever happened. Maybe I read it somewhere as an eight-year-old boy going to a shadow play. Rosamund Knight in Istanbul holding his grandfather's hand. His grandfather has on a fez and is wearing the fur coat with a sable collar over his robe. And there's a lantern in the servant's hand and I can't contain myself for joy. Flowers come in mind for some reason. Poppies, cactuses, jonquils. In the jonquil garden in Istanbul, I kissed Marika. Fresh almonds on her teeth and her breath. I was 17. My heart on a swing touched the sky. I didn't know I loved flowers. Friends sent me three red carnations in prison. I just remembered the stars. I love them too, whether it's I'm floored watching them from below or whether I'm flying at their side. I have some questions for the cosmonauts. Were the stars much bigger? Did they look like huge jewels on black velvet or apricots on orange? Did you feel proud to get closer to the stars? I saw color photos of the cosmos in Oganek magazine. Now, don't be upset, comrades, but non-figurative, shall we say, or abstract, while well, some of them look just like such paintings, which is to say they were terribly figurative and concrete. My heart was in my mouth looking at them. They are our endless desire to grasp things. Seeing them, I could even think of death and not feel at all sad. I never knew I loved the cosmos. Snow flashes in front of my eyes, both heavy and steady snow and the dry, whirling kind. I didn't know I liked snow. I never knew I loved the sun, even when setting cherry red as now in Istanbul. Too, it sometimes sets in postcard colors, but you aren't about to paint it that way. 
I didn't know I loved the sea, except the sea of Azov, or how much I didn't know I loved the clouds, whether I'm under or up above them, whether they look like giants or shaggy white beasts. Moonlight, the falsest, the most languid, the most petit bourgeois, strikes me. I like it. I didn't know I liked the rain. Whether it falls like a fine net or splatters against the glass, my heart leaves me tangled up in a net or trapped inside a drop and takes off for uncharted countries I didn't know I loved. Rain, but why did I suddenly discover all these passions sitting by a window on the Prague-Berlin train? It is because I lit my sixth cigarette. One alone could kill me. It is because I'm half dead from thinking about someone back in Moscow. Her hair stretched, straw blonde, eyelashes blue. The train plunges on through the pitch black night. I never knew I liked the night pitch black. Sparks fly from the engine. I didn't know I loved sparks. I didn't know I loved so many things, and I had to wait until 60 to find it out, sitting by the window on the Prague-Berlin train, watching the world disappear, as if on a journey of no return. Thanks.